Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Total Bases Express Show. I am your host, Austin Spiro. Thank you so much for uh, indulging us and coming on for another episode of the podcast. We are still in our greatest of all time series, and I am here with my pal, uh, Kevin Miller is here with me. Kevin, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right, man. Uh, I still have pneumonia. So uh, if anyone's following along and sees me mute my microphone and cough, don't be alarmed. <laughs> but I was not going to miss this discussion tonight because you people, and I mean you people, whoever you are that caused this list to end up the way that it did, I had to be here. Oh, the hat, the hat's yeah, coming yeah. off. Yeah, like I said in the post, y'all done piss Kevin off. <laughs> um, speaking of uh, speaking of pissed off, uh, let's talk really quickly. Uh, after our shortstop conversation, um, I just had a com- a phone conversation with my dad. My dad takes a couple of days to listen to the podcast, and he called me. And the first thing he said was really Jeter is number four. And I'm like, dad, I didn't, I didn't make the list. He, he says that um, because he doesn't know Hannes Wagner, that it should have been Cal Ripken, uh, Ozzie Smith and Derek Jeter in any of that order, one, two, and three. And he's saying that you can't only focus. And I think this was, this is a good point. You can't only focus on just offense. Now I know we talked about it in shortstop, that offense is, you know, it's widely accepted as being more or heavily favored in terms of statistics and and things of that nature. But the the fact of the matter is that these guys have to be on the field as well, right? And and I'll, I'll say it the way, I'll say how he put it. He goes, yeah, you can have a guy that hits, you know, like Aaron Judge hits 45, 50 homers a, a year. He goes, but if you, if he gets out there and he can't throw, he can't catch, he can't feel at all, then he's not worth anything. He's given up as much runs as he is creating out at the, out at the plate. So what's the point of having him? So you need to also look at the defense and I, you know, I, that, that does make sense. He's like, everybody's putting way too much of an emphasis on hitting and not as much of an emphasis on defense. And while that's true, you're also seeing some of these other lists here and we're seeing a lot more defensively minded people we saw on first base that um you know yeah don mattingly didn't make it we had um other stuff like that um but it seems like there's more defensively minded players especially in the middle infield um than the offensively minded players um but i thought it was a, a, a kind of a good thing to talk about where you got to consider offense and defense and on top of that the, the other thing my dad said is you're, you're comparing all eras. You're not comparing just the, you know, the game is evolving. You had the 50s, 60s, 70s where they all played, and even the 80s where they all played like super hard, small ball, aggressive type of, you know, stealing bags and sacrifice hitting and things like that. And then you get into the 90s where – the guys are hitting mammoth tank home runs. And now you're kind of in this weird in between in the two thousands where people are still hitting mammoth tank homers, but it's more analytical. So there's more strategy to it. So I don't know. I, that was a lot of information thrown out at the beginning of this podcast. Kevin, do you have anything to comment on any of that? You're muted. I'm back now, right? Yeah, you are now. Yeah. I don't, I don't mind. Uh, 
talking defense, uh, especially when we're talking about middle infield and center field and catcher and things like that. Um, I do think it's important to try to properly value it, you know, especially when, it, like, just for example, Ozzie Smith versus Kyle Ripken Jr. Mm-hmm. You know, Ripken is still probably a top 10 or 12 defensive shortstop uh, to go along with his top five offensive shortstop. Whereas Ozzie Smith, probably number one defensive shortstop, not even in the top 100 offensive shortstops. Okay. You know, if you really want to get in, into it. So, so I, while I value defense, I think it's important to value it contextually right. uh, where, where you're, you're looking at the, the actual value brought to a team, but also in comparison to the other players. Just because right. Ozzie is number one defensively doesn't mean he should be so high on the list, in my opinion, because the other guys towards the top of the list are really good defenders too. Yeah. The only guy – uh, the only guys in the in the top five or six that weren't great defenders were, were Jeter and Banks, but those guys offensively were really really um, exceptional for shortstops. Offensively, or you're looking at off the field stuff, right? You're looking at like right. Jeter, like the whole ramp, or not not ramp, but the whole you know soliloquy I had with with Jeter and how he handled himself at the shortstop position. For sure, and, and even just just never having a losing season in 20 years, you know, that kind right. of thing. That's a big deal mm-hmm. um, that I think helps overcome his lack of uh, defensive excellence, so to right. speak. You know, I know he wants some gold gloves, but probably shouldn't have. Yeah. Um, you know, there might've been one of those years where he, he was in the discussion, but I don't have a problem with people valuing defense, especially at particular positions, but right. we just need to do it contextually, I think. All right. So, uh, that is our that is our discussion here. Uh, very very busy uh, off season too, um, but I I really want to get to this list. Um, we've got we've got people in the chat. We've got Corey Richmond uh, in the chat already He's saying thank you for not doing the show this week during Thursday night football. You're welcome. We we aim to serve. You're welcome. Uh, so let's get started. Let's do the top. Th- top 10 greatest third baseman of all time as presented by the baseball life Facebook group. Uh, let's do this. Here we go. So the first one, obvious, uh, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to talk about the people that just missed the cut. Uh, we have uh, the top, the next five off the top five. So 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15. You have pie trainer at 11th, Paul Molitor at 12th, Edgar Martinez at 13th. And I think Edgar Martinez is I, I think the reason why he fell off here is because he's, I, I in my mind, I don't consider him a third baseman. I consider him a DH. Um, so he's 13th. A-Rod is 14th. And then we've got uh, Matt Williams at 15th. Uh, so uh, any quick comment about any of these uh, five people there, Kevin? Yeah, I think Molitor and Martinez are both off the list and not somewhere on it because they're not always considered third baseman. You know, Paul Molitor kind of played all over and then DH'd a good chunk at the end. And then obviously Edgar was a DH most of his career. So I, I think that that explains them pretty easily. I think either one of them could have snuck onto the list if the positional requirement was a little bit looser. I love that Pi Trainer is 11th that he was that close mainly because I just love that, that many people are getting that deep into uh, baseball history and looking right. at some old guys. Uh, I love that. I don't think he 
necessarily belongs in the top 10, but I, I love that enough people thought enough of him to, to make it where he was close. That's, that's pretty cool. in my opinion. Right. And this, you know what, this, this exercise helped me in my knowledge of baseball history too. Cause pie trainer was one of those. I'm like, I don't even know who that guy is. Like I had to go double check and make sure he was a third baseman and people weren't pulling my leg because I was like, I don't even know who that is. So then I got into researching pie trainer and I'm like, all right, he's actually pretty good. Um, so, you know, this was this, I think this was a good exercise to um, stretch your knowledge of baseball history. Um, so without further ado, uh, after those uh, top, top five, just missed the cut. Let's get into our top 10 and starting off with number 10, Melvin's going to be pissed off at this. Nolan Arenado is number 10 on our list. He has so far spent a 10-year career with the Rockies and the Cardinals starting in 2013 to now. He's played in 1,384 career games played. Um, he's tied, for, as it stands right now, He's tied for 43rd all-time in slugging percentage at 535. He's got a career 121 rated runs created plus 45.7 war so far. He's made seven all-star teams. He has 10 gold gloves and five silver sluggers. Nolan Arenado at number 10 is very, very interesting. He is very, he's a very, very good third baseman. And we're, and I think this molds into our conversation of valuing defense as much as we value offense. While Nolan Arenado is a great offensive player, we saw it in Colorado. He had a down year his first year at, at St. Louis, but he came back, had a great season last year uh, on St. Louis. I think his calling card as he develops his legacy is going to be how good of a defensive third baseman he was. He is very good defensively at third base, and he's got some pop. And I don't have a problem with Nolan Arenado being on this list, you, you could probably switch him out with maybe Pie Trainer or you know Paul Molitor or somebody like that. But Nolan Arenado, I don't have a problem with him here because of his defense on top of his offensive prowess that he has. Kevin, what do you think about what are where are you on this Nolan Arenado debate? Because the big debate here is, yeah, he was really good offensively in Coors Field because it's Coors Field, but wait until he gets out into a place like St. Louis and see if his numbers stay the same. So what is your um what's your uh stance here on Nolan Arenado so far? Like you, I've got no problem with Nolan being on this list. I mean, when you consider that he's a already, he's a top three third baseman defensively of all time. I think that's almost a comfortable uh, projection for his career. Brooks Robinson even says that Nolan Arenado is the greatest defensive third baseman of all time, which that's pretty high praise coming from Brooks Robinson, who many consider the greatest defender at third base himself. I, I tend to believe that the first eight years of Nolan Arenado's career were slightly overrated offensively, mm -hmm. but they weren't bad by any means. I, I think that's an important distinction to make in this conversation. It's, it's okay to, to believe that he was not a top five or 10 offensive player in baseball, like the numbers might've suggested, but I think it's not okay to think that he was anything less than an above average offensive player. And what he turned around and did in the second year in St. Louis, I think you can comfortably say that Nolan Arenado is a good offensive player. He yes. might not be, he might not be elite, 
but he might be. I don't know. He, he's pretty close. I mean, he, I think he's really one of those he teeters, year. right? He teeters. Right. And, and he, he can be really streaky, especially with his power. Uh, where you know he might he might go three weeks without without a home run and then he might hit six in a week you know, like that that's something that Nolan Arenado does right but he he's a guy that I think belongs on this list and assuming that he's going to play another five years of good baseball and maybe some more after that I think he's going to rise on this list I think he's a guy that when everything is all said and done he's probably going to be a top five maybe third baseman of all I time could, i could see that i could see that and and i think a lot of it has to do with his defense he already has 45.7 war and he's what 31 32 he's about to hit his 300th home run and i believe he's at 299 or 298 something like that he's got 299 he's got one more yeah so he'll hit his 300th home run very soon you got to imagine that with the way he's produced over his career 400 home runs is not at all an unlikely scenario for the outcome of his career. And there have only been a handful of third basemen to hit that many home runs. When you couple that with his elite defense, top two or three of all time, he's going to keep rising on this list. Yeah. And you know what? I'm looking at the standard fielding numbers here for, uh, for Nolan Arenado. And in his career, he's had 4,047 chances over at third base, right? Just chances to field. And he, in his career, he's had a total of 114 errors. That's good for a 972 fielding percentage. I'm going to be honest with you. I thought it would have been higher, you know, but I also think, you know, don't get me wrong. He's a great defensive shortstop, but I also think maybe part of his defense is a little embellished because he's made so many highlight real plays. We just assume that Nolan Arenado is going to make all of these, all of these plays. Um, now don't get me wrong here. That's the hot corner. You're looking at anywhere. He's probably averaging anywhere from about 450 chances each year. And he makes a handful about 10, you know, 10 errors, but still, you would, I, I don't know, to me anyway, I'm like 972, that just seems kind of low for Nar- Nolan Arenado. Do you agree with that? Or do you feel like that's about consistent? His third base, it's about right. Yeah. He's not He's not a spectacular, spectacular athlete by any means, but he's still a rangy fielder because yeah. he gets really good jumps on the baseball, mm-hmm. you know, especially down the line. Like there, there is not a distance he could be off of third base that I would think the line is, is out of reach for him. He moves that way really, really well. And so when you, when you think about that, he's going to have more chances to make errors because he has a bigger range. That was, we talked about that with shortstop a little bit, and it makes more sense with shortstop with more room to operate. But I think it can be true at third base as well. When you look at some third baseman like uh, Austin Riley, he's a pretty average defensive third baseman. He does not have the range that Nolan Arenado does. So he gets to less balls, but still makes a few more errors. Right. And, and I, I think that that could come in, into play here with Arenado, just that because he makes 20 or 30 extra plays every year that average third baseman don't, he's bound to make an error or two on those balls, especially when you consider on difficult balls in the hole or down the line. Plays are rushed, too. You're more likely to get a bad throw. I distinctly remember a game uh, this past year 
where uh, Arenado made a great play against the Braves and then threw the ball away. He got an error, even though probably every other third baseman in the league, except for maybe like Machado, you know, those get nobody else gets to the ball. So none of them would have made an error on the play. Right. But he did because he made a spectacular play and then threw it away. Well, and here's the other thing when you're looking at defensive statistics is, and here's, and this is a problem that I have when it comes to scoring is unless the ball is right at the first baseman's chest and he just clanks it off his glove, the error never goes to the first baseman. You know, if it's a ball that should have been caught and wasn't, normally it's counted as a throwing error, even if the throw was pretty decent. You know, let's say you have a backhand play at third where the third baseman's got to spin around and he's got to he's got to just make a quick throw. If he makes a pretty decent throw and the first baseman doesn't catch it, that that error usually goes to the fielder and or goes to the guy who threw it and not to the first baseman. And that's always been a problem that I've had is like you got to use your discretion there. If the first baseman should have caught that, that's first base. That's first base's error. That's not the fielder's error. He did everything he could. I mean, you're throw, you're trying to get that guy out. You got to use your discretion here, but it usually doesn't seem that way, and I hate that. Um, the other thing that I that I got to say here is, you know, I haven't done much research on this, but I feel like the game has evolved into you have more pull hitters now. You don't have very many hitters that go, you know, go the opposite way as much, right? You're not seeing a lot of hitters that spray it all over the field. You're seeing a lot more pull hitters. So you're going to see a lot more chances on the left side of the infield with the shortstops and the third baseman. Would you agree with that? Or would you say that it's probably been the same throughout history? No, I think you're probably right. Um, I, I think especially when it comes to uh, third base, uh, you're getting a lot more because the really big pull hitters are, are pulling hard down the line typically. Right. And we see a lot of that. And, and we see that on the flip side for lefties at first base as well. And you mentioned first base play, and I wonder, especially when he was in Colorado, I wonder how much that came into play because there was some bad first basemen right. that he was throwing to. And I mean, Ian Desmond played first base for a little while while Nolan Arenado was was in Colorado, and there were there were Wheelan Rosario, who was a bad catcher, who they sometimes tried to play at first base would play. So I wonder if that came into play, you know, where if he was throwing to Goldschmidt like he is in St. Louis. Yeah, you know, or, or Freddie Freeman, Matt Olson, and all these guys who are known to be good at picking the ball out of the dirt or making good stretches. I wonder how many of those errors might have been saved, and therefore his fielding percentage might be at a level that you know we would expect. At at the same time, though, I'm looking at Baseball Reference right now. His fielding percentage in the 2022 season is the third lowest he's ever had in his career. So, and that was his. You know, that's a season that he has Paul Goldschmidt as his first baseman. So maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. I don't know. But what the, I don't know. I just feel like generally the issue that, you know, there is an issue there and I feel like there needs to, we need to settle the discrepancy between the fielder error or the, 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 the thrower error and the, and the first baseman error. I think that's just me. All right, let's move on. From number 10 to number nine. So Nolan Arenado is our gatekeeper who just passed Nolan Arenado. That would be number nine, Ron Santo. 
Seems to be a common theme here with the Cubs. The Cubs fans really showed up on these lists. Uh, number nine, Ron Santo. Ron Santo spent a 15-year career with the Cubs and one year with the White Sox from 1960 to 1974. He played 2,243 career games. He has a career 126 weighted runs created plus, is 57th all-time in war at 70.9, appeared in nine all-star games and won five gold gloves. Ron Santo. Number nine, what is your take here on Ron Santo being number nine? Do you agree with him being there? I think I do. Uh, at first, when I saw this list, I was a little I was a little taken aback by it. I thought it might have had to do with, you know, Cubs fans, like you said, showing up uh, to, to make their mark on the list. But I'd always viewed Ron Santo as a guy who was good but didn't have a very long career because 15 years when you're talking about Hall of Famers isn't an exceptionally long career. But when I started digging into the numbers and stuff, I realized that Ron Santo like never got hurt. He played uh, like a full season pretty much every year he was in baseball until the end. And, and so his career games played is not that much lower than a lot of these other guys on this third base list, despite only, only playing 15 years. And not, not to say, again, that that's a short career but compared to hall of famers a lot of times 15 isn't that long according to according to fan graphs the average hall of famer plays 18 years in the big in the big leagues so there's that stat for you right so when you see 15 for yeah when you see 15 for santo you think oh shorter career but like i said with with his durability which i think is a great uh, a, a great positive for Santo. His durability allowed his career games played to be higher than you might think for a 15-year right. career. Mm-hmm. And he was a guy. He was a guy who had power um, when third base power wasn't always uh, a thing during his era. You know, there were some guys for sure, but it wasn't a position like first base or like left field that had traditionally been seen as a spot for power hitters. You know, he hit 30 home runs four different times. Uh, he he's the only I, I learned this. He's the only third baseman to have eight straight years of 90 RBI or more. That's never happened. And that, that kind of blew me away thinking guys like Chipper Jones and Mike Schmidt, uh, who I'm sure we'll talk about later on today. That I would have imagined those guys did it, but they didn't. But Ron Santo did. He, he's a guy That's that I think, I think he gets overlooked sometimes in these discussions because of his perceived shorter career. And, I mean, he won five gold gloves in in an era where, you know, the Boyers played uh, third base. And I know Brooks Robinson was in the other league, but, but, you know, I mean, this was a time when third base defense was valued heavily, and he won five gold gloves. Yeah, I mean, five gold gloves isn't anything to sneeze at. I mean, when you look at it, that's what, 33% of his career. Right. He won. He won the gold glove. So that's 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 pretty good. Um, So nonetheless, Ron Santo at number nine. Uh, Let's move on to our number eight third baseman of all time. Scott Rowland. I'm glad to see Scott Rowland getting some respect here on this list. Scott Rowland spent a 17 year career with the Phillies, Cardinals, Blue Jays. I forgot he was on the Blue Jays and the Reds from 1996 to 2012. He played in 2038 career games played. Um, he has a 122 weighted runs created plus is 60th all time with a 69.9 career war had seven all-star appearances, won the rookie of the year in 1997. He has seven gold gloves and won the 2002 silver slugger. 
Here is, I think, why Scott Rowland is so low, because Scott Rowland was a very good third baseman, especially defensively. Um, he was a very good third baseman. I think the problem with him here is injuries killed him. I mean, look at this. He played two more years than Ron Santo, but Ron Santo played 200 more games because Scott Rowland was always hurt all the time. So I think if Scott Rowland found a way to stay on the field, I think he would have been much higher. Um, and he might've had better offensive numbers and, you know, his defense already showed it. Um, I have Scott Rowland as a hall of famer. I think he belongs in the hall of fame. Um, Kevin, do you think Scott Rowland belongs on the hall of fame? And do you think he belongs on this list given his injury history? I would answer yes to both of those questions. I, I think he, I think he's pretty appropriately placed here. I like Roland and Santo about evenly for this list. If you want to have one eight and one nine, it doesn't necessarily matter to me what order they're in. I think right. Scott Rowland gets overlooked a lot because during the era that he played in his league, he had Chipper Jones. Mm -hmm. He had for a lot, uh, part of the time, Adrian Beltre. Right. He had for, for part of the time, uh, even David Wright. Mm -hmm. um, so some guys who were not only really good players, but were very popular players at his position. And I think that hurt hurt him from a public perception standpoint. Right. He there was a very guy. quiet guy. Right. And I was yeah. going to bring that up. When you try to learn more about Scott Rowland, just, you know, your first thing, do, 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 Scott Rowland, Wikipedia, there's nothing on there. You look at his personal life tab and it says that he and his wife have kids. That's it. There's nothing else. Nobody knows anything about Scott Rowland because he's such a, a quiet guy off the field. He doesn't talk in the media, really. He doesn't do anything these days other than sometimes uh, help uh, coach Indiana baseball because that's where he's from. And he was a really good player when he played. That's about all anybody knows about. And, and I, I think that that's that probably has hurt his public perception. I'm glad now that it looks like he's on a Hall of Fame trajectory. Yeah. But it, it didn't look great at first. When he first got on the ballot, he was 10%, uh, I believe, uh, which was very far away from the from the number needed to, to make it into the hall. But it looks like he's getting pretty close now. Yeah. Uh, I think he's in his like sixth year of eligibility. So he's getting pretty close. I think he is one where sabermetrics have kind of saved his Hall of Fame candidacy. Because if you look at a lot of the people – that are getting in through these different committees that are not the baseball writers. There was a very common thread and, and, and I've, I've, you know, doing this, doing this research from the hall of fame episodes with Dan Butler in the past with um, Felipe uh, on this podcast, you know, you, you, you saw the people that were borderline or didn't make it and were getting on the ballot from these other committees. They had one thing in common. Most of them were quiet guys. They were quiet. They were reserved, they kept to themselves, and they didn't make much of a presence in terms of the media. And you start and start thinking about these Hall of Famers. You've got Ricky, Ricky Henderson. He was he has a personality like nobody's business. You have Reggie Jackson. You have, you know, they're either legendary in terms of their personality or legendary in terms of the skills that they had on the field. Like you knew that they were going to be a Hall of Famer. They didn't need to talk. Right. And I'm not saying that Ricky needed to be talked, um, ne needed to talk or or Reggie needed to talk. Those guys are Hall of Famers, no doubt, whether they talked or not. But their personality didn't make their had people notice how good they were. Scott Rowland was good, but he was quiet. So nobody noticed how good he was. 
right? Um, I think Dick Allen has that problem too. Dick Allen was quiet, reserved, kept to himself. He also has other problems. I'll say that he was not treated very well during his baseball career. But again, he was another quiet, reserved guy and nobody paid attention to him. So, you know, now with this, now with this movement of sabermetrics, you're seeing people like Scott Rowling get in. You're seeing people like Fred McGriff get in. You're seeing people like all of that get in because you start looking at the numbers and you go, oh, well, actually he's statistically one of the best. I just wasn't paying attention because he didn't give me a reason to pay attention because he didn't have a personality on the field. And I think you're seeing that. I think you're seeing that affect the way some guys try to finish their careers. I don't, I don't know if anybody else has really picked up on this, but I feel like Joey Votto has made a concentrated effort to uh, be a more appealing personality as he's gotten older. You know, when he was young, he was a little bit prickly with the media and pretty quiet. And then as he got older, he started to become like uncle Joey Votto. You know, he's like playing with kids between innings and he's doing all these extra media things and, and, helping out with broadcasts and things like that. And, yeah. and he's a guy who I think is a Hall of Famer, but to a lot of people, he's a borderline Hall of Fame guy. So it wouldn't surprise me one bit if Joey Votto is like, hey, I, I, want people to, I want people to know how great my career was so I have a better chance of making the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I, I could see that for sure. Uh, so Scott Rowland is number eight, who has moved into number seven on our list. That would be just the man we were talking about, Adrian Beltre. Adrian Beltre spent a 21-year career with the Dodgers, Mariners, Red Sox, and Rangers from 1998 to 2018. He played the 15th most games all time, 2,933 games, um, to the slash line of, of 286, 339, and 480. He had a career 115 weighted runs created plus. He's 33rd all-time in war at 83.8. He made four all-star games. He had five gold gloves and four silver sluggers. He's 17th all-time in hits at 3,166, and he's 25th all-time in RBIs, 1,707 RBIs. Now, while you see that Adrian Beltre has just slightly above average numbers, I think this is another one again. He was solid defensively. He was a solid hitter for a very long time. He was good for a consistent period of time. Not only that, he was fun to watch. I had such a fun, you could tell that Adrian Beltre had fun playing baseball and it made you want to watch him more, which made him feel like a better baseball player. And I think it made a lot of his teams better. Um, So, you know, I, I, I don't have a problem with Adrian Beltre being on this list. Um, I think he was a very good player. I would have had Adrian. I think I I think I ranked Adrian Beltre in my top 10, but I think what puts him over the edge is his personality and the fact that he was good, consistently good for a long period of time. Um, what's your opinion here on Adrian Beltre? I think Beltre is a guy that is, or at least for a long portion of his career, was really underrated. Yeah. And, and I think some of that was because early on in his career, Part of this is probably because he came up so young. Uh, he was a little quiet. He, he still had fun on the baseball field. He was a little quiet. As he got older and more comfortable, his personality really started to come out. Watching him and Elvis Andrews uh, for the Rangers on the same side of the infield was always really fun. Uh, you know, they would take pop, uh, pop flies from each other in the infield and act like they were mad or hit each other with their gloves and things like that. It was, it was fun to watch. And, and it was cool to see Adrian Beltre as an old guy, quote unquote, 
uh, do those sorts of things. When I look at his production, though, it's kind of weird, like it, especially when you look at his power. He was a guy that most years of his career hit 20-something home runs. At age 25, I believe, uh, with the Dodgers, he just explodes for 48 home runs and just absolutely dominates that year with L.A. And then he goes back to hitting 20-something home runs again. And then when he gets old with the Rangers, he had a stretch uh, of years where he hit 30-something home runs each year. And then he went back down to hitting high teens and 20s again after that. It, his power was, was really, really strange uh, to me. You know, there have been uh, questions about, uh, about why that is. And I don't think anybody really has an answer. He's never had any, as far as I know, any ties to performance enhance, enhancing drugs. Um, but he, he's a guy that when you look at the overall numbers, they can't be ignored. You know, it is, I mean, he's top, he's top 20 all time in hits. If you before you did this, this research for this podcast tonight, if you were to list the top 20 in hits would Adrian Beltre have likely made your list, he wouldn't have made mine. Yeah, I, I might've, but he would have been like the 19th or 20th person I thought of. Like it would have, like it would have been really close because People don't recognize guys who are really good for a long time. They recognize guys who have really insane peaks. And Beltre didn't really have that. He just had a couple of small explosions during a a career that was pretty much a peak the whole time. It was just really good for a long time. He didn't have the absolute big, you know, three to five year mountaintop that you see from some guys, but he was good from, 18, 19 years old until he was 39 years old with the Rangers. And you know what's interesting is I'm looking at his offensive numbers here. It seemed like not only did people pay more attention to him later in his career, his first all-star appearance was in 2010. He was already, what, 11, 12 years in the big leagues. But offensively anyway, he seemed to get better offensively after he left Seattle. He got on to Boston and Texas and just became consistently a really productive bat in the middle of that lineup. And I, re- and I wonder why, because after, you know, he's getting in, he's in his thirties at that time. Usually you see people regress and their offensive numbers go down. His offensive numbers got better um, towards the end of his career. Um, so I think that's, I think that's an interesting anomaly there when it comes to um when it comes to Adrian Beltre, um, his fielding numbers, let's see, he's got a career 960 fielding percentage. He had a career, uh, looks like, wow, he had 311 errors. Uh, that's a lot. Um, I don't know. 311 just seems like a big number to me. Um, but you know, it just seems like he got better as he got older. So I don't know. That's, 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 that's really interesting. Um, and I think maybe, I don't know, maybe that, that attributes to his mental side of the game. Maybe he wasn't as comfortable in Seattle or, or LA. So he had a hard time get uh, establishing himself at the plate, but maybe as he got older, he got more comfortable with himself. He knew he was going to have a starting job at Texas. So he figured, you know, he might as well just have fun while he's there. And because he had fun, he became a better ball player. Um, I know sometimes that was my problem when I started, when I, when I was playing was um, if I forgot to have fun, then I sucked. Um, But once I, you know, if I loosened up, I was way better. 
Um, so maybe, maybe it was just the mental side of things for Adrian Beltre. Sure. I, I think he's a, I think he's definitely a guy that uh, had a unique career. Yeah. Um, other than the one year in LA where he hit 48 home runs, he, he was just an above average offensive player uh, for almost the first, I guess the first decade really of his career. Yeah. Uh, but, but he really, he really figured things out as he got older. Uh, and it's cool to see that because there are, there, there are guys that that happens. Yeah. Uh, it's not common, but there are guys that they figure it out, whether, like you said, maybe it's a comfortable uh, being comfortable or, or being able to be who he is, you know, be comfortable in his own skin. Maybe he felt like in LA and Seattle, he had to act a different kind of way. Maybe, you know, being a young player in Seattle uh, and, and LA, maybe he just felt the, the need to perform uh, with a certain amount of professionalism, quote unquote. Whereas maybe later in his career, he's like, I'm 30 something years old. I've been doing this a long time. I'm just going to act like how I want to act and I'm going to play how I want to play. And maybe that unlocked the best version of himself. Maybe it did. Maybe it did. Uh, so Adrian Beltre is at number seven. At number six on our list, here we go. I'm so excited for this. Chipper Jones made our number six spot on the list. Chipper Jones played a 19-year career with the Braves in 1993 and then in 1995 to 2012. He's 61st all-time in career games played, 2,499. He's 58 all-time in OBP, 401. 53rd all-time in slugging percentage, 529. He has a career 141 weighted, weighted runs created plus, good for 58th all-time, tied for 58th anyway. He has 84.6 career war, which is tied for 30th all-time with another third baseman, George Brett and George Davis. He made eight all-star teams, won the MVP in 1999, and won two Silver Slugger awards, and I would say is regarded as one of the best, if not the best, switch hitter of all time. And one of my favorite, one of my personal favorite players of all time. Um, I'm just going to say that I think Chipper is a little low on this list, um, but I'm going to cede the floor to Kevin because Kevin, as a Braves fan, is pissed about this, and I'm so excited. Go ahead, Kevin. I don't know who you are. I don't know what your reasoning is. But if you voted Chipper Jones below the top three for all-time third baseman, you have a problem. (laughs) I'm just going to go through a few reasons why he should have been much higher. I had him number two on my ballot. Shows that I can be at least a little bit objective here. I didn't have him number one. I think there's an argument to be made that he could be number one, but I think at minimum he's got to be considered top three. For him to be sixth on this list means that there were people that were putting him seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, maybe even off of their ballot, and that's just absolutely ridiculous. Let's look at some stats just for a second. OPS is a stat that most people who understand baseball view as one of the simplest stats that encompasses how good a player is as a hitter, okay? It's a stat that that we use to to see, all right, can this guy produce runs, which is the most important thing a player can do on the baseball field. Chipper Jones has a higher career OPS than Henry Aaron, than Albert Pujols, than Miguel Cabrera, than Alex Rodriguez, 
then Ken Griffey Jr. Oh, and in relation to this list, every third baseman who's ever played the game. <laughs> he has the highest OPS to ever play third base. Ever. Not sixth. Number one. He also leads all third basemen ever in slugging percentage, which would make sense with OPS. He's second all-time to third baseman in RBI and on base percentage. He's top five in batting average, hits, doubles, and home runs. And he has less plate appearances than everyone who's ahead of him in those categories. He is one of six players to ever have a 45-25 season. That's 45 home runs and 25 steals. That's happened one, two, three, four, five, six times, and Chipper Jones has one of them. He didn't make as many all-star games as he probably should have. And when people want to say, oh, he only made eight all-star games, that's a pretty lame criticism to me because he led all of baseball, not just third baseman. He led all of baseball in OPS when he was 35 years old and did not get voted to the all-star game. That's not his fault. He led the entire major league baseball in OPS. It's the voters' fault for not putting him in. Chipper Jones is, to me, easily a top three third baseman of all time. He has five seasons with a 1,000 OPS or better. The whole rest of this top 10 list, all of them combined have seven. Chipper Jones has five. That's more than any other third baseman has ever had. The rest of this top 10 list has seven. I don't think anyone can, with a straight face, be able to defend an argument that says Chipper Jones is worse than five other third basemen. I don't think you can do it. He's one of the top two switch hitters of all time. It's, it's him and Mantle. There's a gap after that. And we've already been through his numbers as it pertains to the third base position. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever for him to be number six on this list, it's ridiculous. And I'm wondering if it's, if it's my boys, the Mets fans <laughs> in baseball life. Hey, I love them. They're loyal. They know their baseball. But I'm wondering if maybe there's a little bit of bitterness toward the Met killer. Maybe Chipper got hurt because there's a lot of New York in baseball life. I don't know. I don't know. But Chipper Jones at six is an absolute travesty. Would you say? that his offensive prowess makes up for some of his more defensive woes. When you look at fielding percentage, he's at a 954 fielding percentage for his career. So that's, that's pretty low for what we've got so far. I don't know compared to all of the third baseman, but for the third baseman that we have so far, he's got the lowest fielding percentage. So would you say his offensive prowess makes up for his kind of lack sort of lackluster defense that he had throughout his career i do i think i think that chipper's defensive reputation uh it, it has a there's a pretty wide range on how people view him defensively a lot of that has to do because there were some years where he was bad there were especially coming off of some knee injuries he had two acl tears in his career and my man could not move left sounds like a shortstop we know yeah. 
you know, Chipper could not move left. He's pretty good down the line. He's the best ever coming in on the baseball. He was average most of his career as a defender. He had a couple really good years and a couple really bad. Fielding percentage is not great. I think he was serviceable enough at third base that you can look at his offensive production and see that this guy is something special. He is, he is, if you look at the numbers, the number one or number two greatest offensive third baseman to ever play the game. So to have so to have him this low, despite I think being an average defender, it's pretty bad. So there, there you have it. I personally, I think, um, I think Chipper Jones is low on this list. I think he needs to be way higher. Um, I think his off offensive price. Yes, he had did not have was not great in terms of um, defense, but he his offense makes up for it a lot. Um, and this may be personal bias because Chipper is one of my, I think, I, I would say he's probably top three in terms of my favorite baseball players of all time. Um, yeah, I think Chipper Jones should be higher as well. Um, not only metrics, but I think, um, yeah, I, 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 I think Kevin has said it all in terms of Chipper Jones. But nonetheless, Chipper Jones is number six, had not made the top five. But who is our gatekeeper at it for the top five? Our number five, third baseman of all time, Wade Boggs. Wade Boggs spent a 18-year career with the Red Sox, Yankees, and Double Rays from 1982 to 1999. He's, he's played the 75th most career games all-time at 2,440. He is tied for 38th all-time in average at 328. He's tied for 25th all-time in OBP at 415. Not much of a power-hitting third baseman, 443 slugging percentage. He has a career 132 weighted runs created plus, 28th all-time in war at 88.3. He spent, he's played in 12 all-star games, won two gold gloves, and eight silver sluggers. Wade Boggs at number five. I knew Boggs was going to be on this list, and I think number five is a pretty good number for him. Um, what is your take on Boggs over there for number five? Pretty accurately uh, placed on this list. You know, the chicken man, as he was sometimes called for his, chicken his, man. his superstition of uh, eating chicken before games. And he's also a guy who, who loved the media and the limelight, uh, not necessarily in the same kind of way as other guys, but any chance he had to guest star on a TV show or to do uh, interviews on, on late night talk show, Wade Boggs was on it. Uh, he, he was a guy that, uh, he was very, very, very popular, uh, but I think it's pretty rightfully so, um, you know, being or having an 88 career war kind of tells the story, right? Despite not being a, a big power threat, you know, what, what he had just over a hundred career home runs, despite not being a, a big power threat, he was, he was an excellent hitter. He's a guy that, uh, who you, you want in your lineup toward the top of the lineup, despite the fact that he couldn't run and couldn't hit home runs. That tells you how special he was yeah. as uh, just a bat-to-ball guy. He mm -hmm. couldn't run and he couldn't hit the ball over the fence, and you still wanted him at the top of your lineup. 
um, there was there's a little controversy at the end of his career. Uh, I remember my dad talking about this when I was a kid. I was a little too young, but he signed with with the Devil Rays, you know, in, in Tampa because that's where he's from, and supposedly he agreed to sign with them because he would then put on a Devil Rays hat for his his Hall of Fame plaque when he eventually got inducted in. But the, the story got out. And it was kind of a little mini scandal. So he ended up going in with the Red Sox cap instead. Uh, and the Hall of Fame responded by taking away uh, the player's right to choose there. The, the writers choose now. If they decide that, if the writers decide they can give that power back to the player, but it has to go through the writers first. And that's because of the little scandal with Wade Boggs and, and the Devil Rays. I didn't know that that's why that was the rule. That's pretty interesting. I knew that was the rule that they don't get to choose anymore. I didn't know it was because of Wade Boggs. That's interesting. Yeah, it's pretty cool because it was just the one season, right? Or was it two? Uh, I believe he played two seasons. Okay. Right? But, I mean, he was he was 40 years old. He was not the same player. He was still productive because he's an all-time great. But he, he, was, he was a decade with the Red Sox and two years with the Devil Rays and he almost went into the Hall of Fame wearing a Devil Rays cap, and uh, Major League Baseball didn't like that too much. Yeah, it was two seasons with the Devil Rays, 1998-1999. He was 40 and 41. Still played quite a number of games. He played 123 in 1998, and then he played 90 in 1999. Yeah, and if I remember correctly, he got knocked unconscious on the Simpsons. Oh, really? Yeah, he was part of the, the episode where, uh, you know, Mr. Burns, the witch guy, he puts together a, uh, I think it was just a, like a slow pitch softball team. It might have been baseball. I can't remember, but he puts together a team with a bunch of pros on it. You, you can probably look it up and, and see it. But he gets he gets beaten up, uh, or at least knocked unconscious by um, the big drunk guy. Uh, What's his name? Lenny, maybe. I don't remember. But the, the big drunk guy in The Simpsons knocked him out because they were all arguing over who the greatest prime minister was in the history of the UK. <laughs> that's funny that's good i don't ever i've never i don't really watch the simpsons but that that's funny i like that that's funny all right so wade boggs pretty accurately i think um ranked at number five um and to add more fuel to the fire here Corey richmond is on is in the chat here and he says his top five would be mike schmidt brooks robbins or uh robinson uh george brett Eddie Matthews, Wade Boggs. He says Chipper Jones is properly ranked at number six. And Chipper Jones is an Indian, or um, Corey is an Indians fan. So, you know, there's there's an, there's an opinion from one Indians fan there or Guardians fan is um, uh, Chipper Jones should be out of the top five and um, Boggs should be at number five. So that's, that's really interesting. Um, again, maybe it's my personal bias. I would have had Chipper Jones a little bit higher. Who, though, is better than Chipper Jones and Wade Boggs, according to the Baseball Life Facebook group? That would be number four is Eddie Matthews. He spent a 17-year uh, career with the Braves in three different cities, in Boston, its entire tenure in Milwaukee, and Atlanta. He also played with the Astros and the Tigers from 1952 to 1968. He's 90th all-time in career games played, 2,391. 
He's tied for 90th all time in slugging percentage at 509. He's tied for 50th all time in weighted runs created plus at 143. He's uh, 22nd all time in war, 96.1. He appeared in nine all-star games and is tied for 23rd all time in home runs with Ernie Banks at 512. So, I, I would coin him as Mr. Brave at this point because he's played in all three cities there for the Braves, Boston, Milwaukee, and Atlanta. Eddie Matthews at number four. Mr. Braves fan, what do you think about Eddie Matthews there at number four? Uh, when you're talking about older guys and war especially, because the defensive metrics on war don't they don't always accurately portray the defensive right. prowess of the old guys. It would be impossible really to do so, but Eddie Matthews was known as a bad field, a bad fielder at third base. So if, if it were, if it were accurate, that war number would be a little bit lower. Um, and I don't say that to disrespect Eddie Matthews, who is, I think probably the third best offensive player in Braves history behind Henry Aaron and Chipper Jones. Uh, you know, you can make the argument that Matthews is better than Chipper. I don't think that he was. He, like you said, he played in all three locations, which is pretty cool. He's the only guy to have ever done that. Uh, I think they only spent 12 years in Milwaukee. Uh, but he he was a guy who had an outrageous start in his career. Like when you look at the fastest to, to X number of home runs or fewest number of games to X home runs or youngest player to ever – hit a hundred home runs or whatever. Eddie Matthews name is always towards the top of the list. He, he came up as like a 19 year old and fit right in. He's a guy who absolutely mashed the baseball uh, in a way that that third baseman didn't really do at the time. He was one of the, he was one of the first third baseman who, who could really, really, really hit, you know, in, in all ways, you know, he wasn't just a guy that had pop or wasn't just a guy who could get on base he was a guy who could just really hit the baseball. And he had a couple of small injuries as he got to about the middle of his career that caused him to slow down a little bit. His numbers, while still incredible, when you look at his career, uh, the back half of his career is definitely much, much lower than the front half of his career. And it's one of those, one of those things that uh, it makes you wonder if with today's modern medicine, if maybe – if maybe Eddie Matthews is one of the greatest of all time, not just solid Hall of Famer who is potentially a top five at his position, like we might be talking about him as the greatest third baseman of all time with modern medicine because of how good that bat was. Um, he, he, he was special. He was special. On a, on a team that had Henry Aaron on it, there were years where Eddie Matthews was a more productive offensive player. So I want to point something out here. I don't like looking, I don't look at advanced metrics for fielding because advanced metrics for fielding is just a fancy eye test. They use cameras. It's just a fancy eye test. So now while I don't think fielding percentage really totally encompasses their uh the defensive prowess of a player it can also it does show if you're a good fielder or not right eddie matthews in his career has a career 956 um fielding percentage chipper jones 
we, you know, we talked about Chipper Jones and his, uh, his sort of woes has nine fifty four. So Eddie Matthews by two one thousandths of a uh, two thousands two hundred thousands of a point is a better fielder than Chipper Jones. So now, what could that be attributed to? Again, it could be attributed to bad first baseman play. It could be attributed to whatever, right? But I just think it's interesting that we say, oh, Eddie Matthews was known as a bad fielding third baseman. And while Chipper Jones was necessarily a, you know, he wasn't, he didn't have as much of a reputation as a not a great fielding third baseman. We have, you know, Eddie, uh, you have Eddie Matthews in the top five and Chipper Jones just outside of the top five. And I wonder if the difference here is, is in fact that he's ranked more all time in terms of offense, Eddie Matthews in Eddie Matthews's case. Um, Because if you look at in terms of fielding percentage, Eddie Matthews, Chipper Jones are the same third baseman, essentially. So I just thought it was, I just think that's really interesting um, to look at. Um, you know, these, these different, these different guys with different reputations, but defensively at third base, they were the same guy. So I don't know, something to look at, um, something to consider there. Um, do you have any other comment on Eddie Matthews before we move on to our top three? Yeah, I I did want to say about his defense. Part of the reason he was viewed as a bad defender, uh, didn't really have to do with fielding percentage as much as it had to do with the fact he couldn't move. Yeah. So when you combine that low fielding percentage also with no range, I think that tells a little bit more of the story. Yeah. You know, he he was he was pl- pretty firmly planted <laughs> over there at third base. It wasn't he wasn't a guy that was going to go get too many balls. Not that Chipper was at, was the the most rangy third baseman, but he had more range than Matthews. Mm. So I think, in my opinion, I think that's what separates Matthews as probably a pretty bad defender, and Chipper is probably pretty average. At okay. third base overall, right. uh, despite the fielding percentage numbers being almost identical. Right. Um, and that, man, two offensive juggernauts, though, especially if you look at the, the beginnings of Eddie Matthews' career. Some right. of his some of his all-time look is almost a what-if, you know, kind of King Griffey Jr. style of what-if, where it's like, man, his all-time numbers still are really, really good. Yeah. But if you saw it or you've studied it, you know it could have been even even bigger right? because because injuries that didn't necessarily take away that many games definitely took away that otherworldly production. All right. All right. So Eddie Matthews at number four, just outside our top three, we're getting into the top echelon here of third baseman, our number three third baseman of all time, Mr. Brooks Robinson. Brooks Robinson spent a 23-year career with the Orioles from 1955 to 1977. He played in the 16th most games all time at 2,896. Um, Now, he has a career 104 weighted runs created plus, meaning he was just a pretty average offensive player. But I think where his he's a lot like Ozzie Smith in terms of defense at third base because he has a now he has an 80.2 war which is good for 37th all time so he had to be some sort of offense you know some sort of decently offense but he went to 18 all-star games he was the 1964 AL MVP and won 16 gold gloves mind you he played 23 years in the big leagues 
So more than half of his career, he was seen as the best fielding third baseman and is probably seen as the best fielding third baseman of all time. It just seems kind of coincidental that Ozzie Smith, considered probably by far the greatest defensive shortstop, is number three. And Brooks Robinson, probably the greatest defensive third baseman, is at number three. Both of them very average hitters or not great hitters. Um, so again, defense uh, kind of horns in here and you know shows us here on this list. But I think there's less of a debate in terms of Brooke Robinson being in the top three in terms of third baseman than there is an Ozzie Smith for shortstop, which to me is pretty interesting because you thought you I think third base is more of an offensive uh position in history than shortstop. So the fact that we have such a big problem with, you know, that there's some people that have a big problem with Ozzie Smith being number three and not as much of a problem with Brooks Robinson being number three, I think is an interesting anomaly here. Um, I would say Brooks Robinson is properly rated and should be in the top three. Um, but, um, you know, that is opinion. That is the opinion of one lowly podcaster out here in California. What say you, Kevin Brooks Robinson, number three, yes or no? Very hesitantly say no, only to say that I have him fourth. So not, not that big of a difference. Okay. I do think that third base is a position that from two to seven, like rankings two to seven is somewhat, and I mean somewhat interchangeable. I think there are arguments to be made from two to seven. I obviously have opinions within that. We heard my chipper rant earlier. Right. He was within that range. I thought he should be higher. I do want to push back on the comparison between Brooks Robinson and Ozzie Smith, though, because while Brooks Robinson was no offensive juggernaut compared to Ozzie Smith, he's freaking Babe Ruth. (laughs) He has he has almost 20 points higher, I believe, in career WRC plus. He he was a slightly, very slightly above average offensive player. Ozzie Smith was decidedly below average. Brooks Robinson got a lot of his value from hitting home runs, uh, which which I think, depending on who you are, would either overvalue him offensively or undervalue him offensively. He was a guy that, you know, he couldn't really run very well. Um, So the fact that he was so good at third base while not being an elite athlete, is pretty remarkable, um, especially when you consider, I don't know if you've ever heard this before, um, but he, he didn't really have any opportunities to, to play professional baseball at first. He had, uh, he had a church member, uh, uh, like a fellow church member, who had a connection to uh, the Orioles that said, hey, there's this basketball player. Yeah, he said, hey, there's this basketball player named Brooks Robinson. <laughs> I can't remember what school he was going to, uh, but he was going to, I think it was the University of Arkansas, maybe. He was going to go play basketball at the University of Arkansas. And they're like, hey, uh, this guy's pretty good. Um, You might want to check him out. And so three total scouts 
came to watch him play baseball. And that was Brooks Robinson's only time really performing in front of anyone with any connection to Major League Baseball. Thankfully, one of those scouts was with the Orioles, who then drafted him, and the rest is history. But this basketball player <laughs> almost didn't play baseball, which is pretty remarkable. It is pretty remarkable. Pretty remarkable. Um, I checked it. Ozzie Smith has a 90 weighted runs created plus Brooks Robinson, a one 104 weighted runs created plus. So essentially weighted runs created plus essentially is just the great equalizer for fan graphs in terms of how productive you are, how good of an offensive player you are in terms of the runs created stat. Right. And they, they uh, equalize it based off of ballpark factor and era factor and stuff. There's a lot of adjustments when it comes to that. 100 is average. Anything below is below average. And then the higher above you get the, the better baseball player you are or the better offensive player you were. So the difference here, 104 to 90 is the difference between pretty average, right? Slightly above, but just still a pretty average player. And 90 is just a, slightly below average player in terms of offense. So yeah, Brooks Robinson was, you know, a better offensive player than, you know, especially when it came to power than, than Ozzie Smith, but Ozzie Smith still, he had some value, you know, in terms of, and again, I think we talked about this in the era in the era that they played in the number two hitter was the guy that, you know, would, would bunt and, you know, stuff like that. They, they weren't necessarily the on base guy. That was the leadoff guy, but you know, he was number two cause he bunted every once in a while and stuff like that. Um, so, you know, but Brooks Robinson was a better slight. It was, it seems like just a slightly better, you know, one step higher, better of an offensive player and just as good as the defensive player. So I think we can argue about Ozzie Smith and Brooks Robinson until we're blue in the face. But the fact of the matter is that they're both number three in their respective position. And that's not the so, so uh, I did. I did want to add this as well. I'm talking about the defense. Uh, I think. I think, generally speaking, people would say Ozzie Smith's the greatest defensive shortstop ever. And right. generally speaking, people would say that Brooks Robinson is the greatest defensive third baseman ever. I think, though, when you look at how much better Brooks Robinson is than the average third baseman defensively, and when you look at how much better Ozzie Smith is than the average shortstop defensively, I think that increases the gap in uh, between a guy like Brooks Robinson and, and Ozzie Smith, because the average third baseman defensively looks more like Chipper Jones, you know, defensively, okay. whereas the average shortstop defensively is still pretty good. And I, I think, I think that's, that is a bit of a separator too, you know, when it comes to overall value to a team, Brooks Robinson not only is the best defensive third baseman ever he's so far above average that I think that additional value is important to consider in in this discussion whereas the the shortstop while a more valuable position in and of itself Ozzy's gap between himself and average isn't as big if that makes sense that that does make sense so you're saying that um Brooks Robinson was a very elite defender at a position where you they were not expected to be elite defenders whereas ozzy smith you were expected to be good at fielding at shortstop and ozzy smith was just elite at it right so that that makes sense i i i could i could get behind that um so let's see who 
it was ranked as better than the greatest defensive third baseman of all time. At number two, George Brett. George Brett spent a 21-year career with the Royals from 1973 to 1993. He played the 31st most games all time, 2,707. He had a career slash line of 305 batting average, 369 on base percentage, and a 487 slugging percentage. He had a career 132 weighted uh, runs created plus. He's 30th all-time in war at 84.6. He made 13 all-star teams, won the AL MVP in 1980, won one gold glove, and three silver sluggers. Do you agree with George Brett as the number two short um, third baseman of all time? I love George Brett. <laughs> I just do. I had him third on my list. Um, part of that's because I had Chipper at two. Yeah. Uh, George Brett is a guy who I'm very glad that he is so high on this list because I feel like he often gets a little bit overlooked mm-hmm. when talking about the greatest third baseman of all time. So I'm actually very pleased at how high he is on the list. He's a guy that, you know, played his career for a franchise that hasn't won a lot, but won a lot while he was there. And that, that says a lot to me about the type of, of leader and performer that George Brett was. I know they had other players, don't get me wrong. I know that Brett Saberhagen was there as a pitcher. Uh, and I know that they had, uh, you know, guys like Frank White, uh, other guys who could play ball. But George Brett was the leader and the best player on, I don't know, probably 18 of the 21 seasons that he played with the Royals. I mean, he was that good. You know, he, he's famous for his pine tar incident that, you know, we've all seen clips of that or heard stories of that, which by the way, them measuring the pine tar against home plate, that's not even a rule. It just kind of no. made that up. It just kind of made that up because they didn't know how to go about uh, honoring the contest because, you know, it was being protested, and they're like, oh, well, I guess we can measure it against home plate, which that's not a rule. They just made that up on the spot, which is why George Brett lost his mind. Yeah. Because it was not a rule of baseball. Uh, but George Brett was a guy that just – he played hard um, in an era where everybody played hard. So that means that he played even harder if he was known for playing hard, if that makes sense. Right. But, he, but as far as I've heard, he's never been known as a dirty player which can often be a tag that goes with guys who play hard. They can be known as dirty. Um, And he was not that. He's a guy who, despite not having major power, still hit over 300 home runs because he was just a really good hitter. He he has a lot of extra base hits, a lot of doubles, a lot of home runs, because he is, to me, one of the best bat-to-ball guys that's ever played third base but he did it in a little bit different way than Wade Boggs did because Boggs, you know, didn't really have the kind of power that Brett had. Right. He's like, if you, if you took Boggs and gave him some juice, and I maybe juice is the wrong phrase I should use. I don't mean, <laughs> I don't mean PEDs. Okay. We're not, we're not, uh, we're not going to get back on the A-Rod soapbox from last week. <laughs> but uh, if you gave Boggs a little bit of, a little bit of power, I think you get George Brett. And, and he was he was a pretty good defender while he was young, uh, and then it got kind of bad uh, as he got older, and he eventually got moved to first base. Uh, but George Brett is an all-time great at third base, and I'm glad he's a, I'm glad he's really high on this list. 
I, I'm glad he is too. I, I I believe I had Brett at two or three uh, somewhere around there. So I'm glad to see that George Brett is at number two as well. Um, so who is the greatest third baseman of all time? The, 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 the standard when it comes to third base, that would be none other than Mike Schmidt. Wait real quick. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I, I, I didn't mean to, didn't mean to ruin the big reveal. You're good. But, but uh, I did want to say one last thing before we got to Schmidt on George Brett. Uh, Corey Richmond mentions it in the chat, and it was something that I came across in my research as well. And it's just that uh, the Mendoza line, which is a, a phrase we hear all the time. We know it, it's the, the 200 batting average mark. Uh, George Brett was was the guy who was credited with coming up with that. Oh, um, he played with he played with and against um, Mendoza. Uh, I can't remember his his first name actually. Can't remember it either. Um, Mario Mario Mendoza Mario. Uh, but you know, he, he, I think that season hit right around 200 the whole year. I think he finished at 198 and Brett said, we got to get him over the Mendoza line and it kind of stuck. And that's, that's something we, we use often when yeah. talking about uh, baseball uh, batting average in particular. So I did want to, did want to mention that. And thanks to Corey in the chat for reminding me of that one. Yeah, that, that is a good little nugget there of information. I like that. Our best Third baseman of all time. And it wasn't close. Like he crushed everybody on this list was Mike Schmidt. Mike Schmidt spent an 18 year career with the Phillies from 1972 to 1989. He played in the 87th most career games all time at 2,404. He's tied for 55th all time in slugging percentage, 527. He's tied for 34th all time in weighted runs created plus 147. He's 16th all-time in war, 106.5, by far the most out of anybody on this list. He made 12 all-star teams. He was the 1980, 1981, and 1986 NL MVP. He has 10 gold gloves, six silver sluggers. So he's got offense and defense to boot, and he's 16th all-time in homers at 548. I don't think there's much more you could say. I really don't think there's a debate that Mike Schmidt is the the greatest third baseman of all time. I think, you know, we've had, well, this guy wasn't great defensively, but made up for it offensively. Yeah. This guy was good defensively, but kind of lackluster when it came to offense. This guy had both. Mike Schmidt had both offense and defense. Now it was not Brooks Robinson, good defense, but it was still good defense nonetheless. And then he had pop, uh, obviously he had pop in his bat 548 homers in 18 years mind you a lot of these other guys you're seeing they play 22 23 24 years in there and they're hitting 500 homers so the fact that mike schmidt had 18 years with the phillies and hit 548 homers to me is pretty impressive and 18 homers and an over 100 war is impressive as well i don't think there's a question that mike schmidt is number one what are your comments about mike schmidt over there I agree with with Schmidt at one. I, I think he's, I think he's the gold standard overall when you look at third base. His offensive production uh, is pretty pretty on par with with Chipper and with Matthews, a little bit above Brett and Boggs. But what separates him is that not only did some of his offensive production turn into home runs, so he gets he gets a little bit of a boost there because he had a few more balls leave the ballpark but he was a good defender at third base. And that shouldn't really be a surprise as he came up as a shortstop. 
Uh, he was a guy that uh, was really lightly recruited coming out of high school, went to Ohio University, not Ohio State, went to Ohio University uh, and quickly led them to being a national power while he was there. And he came up as a shortstop at the Phillies, got moved to third base as his body kept growing. And he stayed a good defender uh, at third base. And it's pretty cool when that happens because we see a lot of guys who come up as shortstops and move to third base. And then they kind of they kind of get bad on defense as their body gets bigger. You know, it's, it's cool when we see Mike Schmidt or Manny Machado, you know, those types that remain really good defenders at third base. And another thing they did, he ran well, too. A lot of people don't realize that Mike Schmidt uh, ran well. He, he could steal bases and take extra bases on balls in the gap and things like that. He was a guy who uh, also was in a, a weird era in terms of offense, you know, the late 70s and early to mid 80s. Uh, home run totals were, were pretty low compared to uh, a lot of other times of baseball history. Um, and Mike Schmidt was probably the best power hitter during most of those seasons. A lot of publications have him as the best offensive player of the 80s, and that was the end of his career. So that's that's even more impressive there. I, I, I think Mike Jack Schmidt, as uh, our, our Philly brothers would say, Michael Jack Schmidt is appropriately and rightly ranked number one on this list. I would say he's appropriately ranked as well. Um, the other thing that I noticed going into this was that a lot of, I think all of our uh, third basemen that have been ranked in this list were, I think the earliest one was in the mid fifties. I think Eddie Matthews is the oldest third baseman on here. The rest of them, they were in the anywhere from the the seventies to 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 present. And so to me, that really um, talk, uh, speaks to the evolution of the third base position, right. In the history of baseball, um, you know, a lot of the, um, you know, you saw a lot of the most premier hitters of the older times being middle infielders, second basemen's, the shortstops. We saw a lot of the twenties and the thirties guys on there. Right. And then you've got, but now you've got third base and it seems like that, you know, the offensive prowess or the prowess of the third baseman have kind of shifted over into the um from the 50s till now it it's kind of shifted over to the third base um and i'll be i'd be really interested to see if there's more of an importance on third base as baseball goes on because now when you're looking at third baseman they're kind of the cornerstones of your outfield or of your offense that's another word that starts with o um is your offense right and so, whereas before it doesn't seem like they were the cornerstone of offenses until the 60s, the 70s, the Bretts, the, you know, people of that nature. Um, did you notice that as well in your research? Have you been, have you kind of seen that it seems like it's the, the, the role of third baseman has kind of gotten more or has kind of got more important as, as we, as the game gets older? I did. And I think a lot of that has to do with power. Yeah. Um, a lot of the best third basemen who were uh, playing in the, the earlier eras of baseball, you know, basically prior to Brooks Robinson and Eddie Matthews, uh, most of the third basemen who were uh, among the best in the game didn't hit for a lot of power. There were a couple, um, but they usually didn't 
uh, hit for much power for, for very many years. At least there were a couple of guys who would pop up for a year and hit 30 home runs, and then they'd go back down to hitting 10 or 12. Uh, it wasn't until Robinson and Matthews that third baseman power was really viewed as, as something to be desired, uh, something that could really kind of like how until uh, Cal Ripken in, in the 80s, we didn't see shortstops hit for power very often, at least not consistently. If they did, they got moved to a different position, like Ernie Banks got moved to first base, you know, that kind of thing. Um, you know, Ripken was, the, was one of the early shortstops who stayed a shortstop while hitting for power. I think we saw that with Robinson and, and especially Matthews in the 50s. Um, I think it's just the way the game has changed. You know, for a long time, second base and shortstop weren't considered power positions. Uh, and uh, I think third base was once viewed that way as well. But now, now it's fair game. If you can play third base, they'd prefer you hit for power. Yeah. You know, it, it's, a, it's a spot where you see a lot more three, four, five hitters uh, than, than you used to. And, and I, think it's, I think it's good for baseball to see uh, talent diversity. And what I mean by that is different positions being able to do different things on the baseball field. I love it when first baseman can steal bases. Yeah. I love it, I love it when, when middle infielders can hit for power. I love it when, when catchers uh, aren't just these big plotting things and can actually contribute in other areas. Like I, I love that stuff. And I think it's good for the game. I think it's exciting for fans, especially younger fans. Uh, nobody wants to be pigeonholed into a, spe- a specific thing. Oh, I play this position. That means I can only do this. Nobody, nobody wants that when they're a kid, when they're, when they're coming to love a game, they, they don't want to be told, Oh, well, you're a first baseman. That means you can't run or you're a second baseman. That means you can't hit the ball hard. Like nobody wants that. I think it's good for the game when we see guys like, you know, Mike Schmidt who played third base and could hit, could defend and could run. I think that's really good for baseball. Right. Yeah. I would, I would agree as well. Um, So we, in our next episode are going to get, this is going to get really interesting. We are going to get to our top 15 we're going to do 15 because there's so many of these people, top 15 outfielders of all time. And I'm going to, and we'll share when we share this list, I think it'll be an interesting debate because I think there's a good 15, 25 outfielders that you that you could argue be in the top 15 all time. And so I think this will get, this will be an even more interesting debate. You'll have to tune in next week on Tuesday for those uh, top 15 outfielders of all time. We're excited for that. Any parting comments, Kevin, before we sign off? Uh, Chipper Jones is not number six, no matter what this list says. Okay. <laughs> bye. <laughs> and with that for my friend kevin miller i am austin spiro thank you for listening to another episode of the total bases express show and until next time have a good one everybody